lot of big news in Chicago this week. I prayed about the Archbishop thing. But the other bigger news is Nick Walenda. Uh, you know, Nick Walenda, the famous flying Walenda family, is going to cross the Chicago River from the top of the Marina Towers there in the background, and he's standing on top of the Leo Barnett building. How many read this with great interest and joy? Well, anyway, he's going to do this on a wire that's five-eighths of an inch wide. Five-eighths of an inch wide on November 2nd. It's a Sunday. So we'll pray for him that morning. Uh, and Walenda is the one who's famous, of course, several generations that have done this um, in his family. Uh, he's famous for having done it most recently, a canyon near the Grand Canyon. Uh, he did it over Niagara Falls uh, some years ago. Uh, Nick, now, Walenda, Nick Walenda is also uh, a committed Christian, and he very much takes his faith seriously. If you watched him when he did the, um, the Grand Canyon thing, um, you, he was, they had a mic on him, and he kept saying, thank you, Jesus, every step, to which us who are watching were thanking him, too, because we really didn't want to see what happened if he didn't make it. He does all of this without a net, without a harness, and uh, often would say, thank you, Jesus. I found some places, I did a little study about uh, Nick Walenda along with Psalm 121 this week, and I found that uh, he does quote it from time to time, particularly this part of it, my help comes from the Lord. Now, I couldn't find him quoting this part, but I've got to believe that he also knows the part that says, he will not let your foot slip. (laughs) And take seriously that part of Psalm 121. Yikes. Psalm 121 is our second in the Psalm of Ascents. This is where we're headed for the next, uh, now the next 14 weeks. We began last week with 120. We'll go all the way up to the Sunday right before Christmas in Psalm 134 on that day. Psalm 121 is a wonderful and encouraging poem, really, is what it is. It's a poem that is so reassuring of God's watchful care over us. After the darkness and the distress of the tents of Kedar, if you were with us last week, um, the pilgrims are headed towards Jerusalem. They've been aware of their need for confession. They've been aware of the, the darkness out of which they come, but they're headed towards Jerusalem. And as they head towards Jerusalem, they, they need some reassurance. And this is one of, the, one of the psalms that they sang probably to each other as they went up to the hill towards Jerusalem. It's possible they may have even sung it sort of um, in, in two parts, like antiphonally. Like one part would say, you know, uh, I looked at eyes, where's my help come from? My help comes to the Lord. And then the others should say, well, let me tell you about him. He, he watches over Israel. And so it kind of was a, perhaps a kind of a back and forth thing. It's what we're studying, what we're learning, what we're trying here, not only to learn about these Psalms, but also how they connect to our journey as disciples of Jesus Christ. What can we learn from these Psalms that the pilgrims were reassuring themselves about? What kind of assurance did they get as they sang these Psalms to each other on their way to Jerusalem three times a year? What did they learn that we can learn also that might reassure and encourage us and challenge us in our growth? So this is what we're going to say each week, that as these Psalms carry the Hebrew pilgrims up to Jerusalem so they can take us on a journey towards the heart of God, we are, quote, on the way as followers of Christ. And so our theme is on the way. We're on our way to a deeper walk with Jesus Christ. What can the Psalms teach us? So back to Nicolenda for a minute. Psalm 21, back to Psalm 21, and the promises of God's protection. Even on a high wire? (laughs) Even on a high wire? But you know, when you think about it, even when I walk out the door in the morning, do I have the promise of God's protection that I will not face any kind of harm? Now, if we read this psalm as a guarantee that we will not slip or fall, if we read this as a guarantee that we will not be injured, literally, or that we will not be injured deep within emotionally, there will be no harm to the relationships that we live in, that, there's a, that this is a promise that we will not get sick, that we will not be physically harmed, that we will not be given any kind of cause for distress. If that's how we read it and that's what we believe it, then this is really just a lovely poem. 
but it's not true. But it's in the word of God. And there's something to it. It is much more than a lovely poem. It is connected to the living God who looks beyond our earthly circumstances and looks deep into things that affect the lives of all people. Those who believe and those who do not yet believe. It looks higher and deeper at God's overall protection of our lives. Not just our lives, our physical lives, but our all that we are, or our souls is a word often that scripture gives to it. And when God cares for our soul, there's nothing that the world can do, there's nothing that evil forces can do to get to our soul as God watches over us and gives us his care. Nothing can separate us from his caring presence, his love, and his purpose. And that is our ultimate help as we look to the maker of heaven and earth. And so today, Psalm 121, Psalm 121 assures us of God's ongoing help. Though our journey may well include injury and illness and distress, we have here the assurance that none of this will separate us from the love, the care, and the purposes of God. Even though our journey is going to include these things, and most of our journeys already have and will again, we have here the assurance that none of these things will separate us for the love and the care and the purposes of God. So that's what we want to look at. We're going to first of all look at these first couple of verses and, and the need for help. Uh, where do we look in this need for help? And then secondly, a little bit longer, we'll look at the nature of that help and the rest of the, the psalm. So first of all, this need for help, where we look. The psalm begins with a simple request, help, <laughs> um, which is not so simple for some to do. Some people have a harder time asking for help than others. In fact, uh, Eugene Peterson says in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, that... Um, For many new Christians, the very first and great surprise in their new Christian walk comes in the form of the troubles that we meet. (laughs) We're rudely awakened, he says, in the midst of this wonderful new life. You know what it is. Come to Jesus, give your life to him, he'll forgive your sins, he'll set you free, and he'll give you great joy in your life. And so we begin this Christian life, and we begin with great joy, and the first great surprise that comes, says Peterson, is when we encounter troubles. And we thought, I thought, I can remember when I was a new Christian, I became to Christ when I was a, a sophomore in high school, uh, right down the road from where Megan is right now in the Santa Cruz. And a year later, God said to my family, you're moving to Chicago from California. And I thought, you told me this was a loving God. I, I'm over it now. I love living here now. But I just want to tell you, but that's what I said as I, you know, I was so clueless. But seriously, it comes to this, this rude shock of, of, of God being in control and us not being in control is this... Uh, uh, is a surprise that comes. And when we get in the midst of those things, we, we need some help. Where do we go? What do we do with this? Where do we look? And the psalmist says, where do I look? I look up, but I look to the hills. That's what the psalmist, first of all, says, do I, do I look to the hills? Am I, is it a looking to the creation that will help me? Now, the hills were a, a common sight in Palestine. For some, they were a, a symbol of God's power and presence. There was also a symbol the temple itself was up on a hill and you had to go up into the hills to, to get to Jerusalem. And so as the pilgrims are getting closer, they're literally going up to Jerusalem. And so their eyes look up to the hills ahead of them. For some, it's just simply the majestic scenery and the beauty of mountains is, a, is an inspiration to look up. But look at the hills also meant something else to the Israelites. If you know Old Testament history at all, and if you read your way, especially through Kings and, and Chronicles and then through some of the prophets, you'll find out that the high hills were also places where they put all kinds of pagan shrines. They were followers of the one true God, and yet they were constantly being tempted by these Canaanite religions around them 
that worship the creation more than the creator. And often the high hills or the high places, you'll read about whether a king was a good king or a bad king when you read through all those, those books of the Bible. And the good kings tore down the altars on the high places. And so when they talked about the high places, often they represented the altars, the shrines to the Canaanite religion. Always a temptation to the Hebrews. Looking to the hills, either way, whether it's looking is a, in a positive sense of where we're headed or looking there towards something that would pull them from God. They're not the source of help. They're only the creation. The psalm moves quickly then in verse 2 to looking rather to the creator rather than to the creation. Looking to the one true God. And it's intentional words here. It's not just my help comes from the Lord. It says it comes from the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth. And by stating that, the psalmist is saying this isn't just a God. This is the God. This is the one true God. The one who made everything that we see. The one who made those hills that we look to for help. That's the one in whom we find our help. The one true God. There were plenty of false options open open to them in those days. And I would say there's plenty of false options open to us in these days to look for for help. I don't look there. I look to the hills. I look to the mountains. I look higher to the God who created them. And this morning I put a, a, uh, the candles are sort of our little ascent that'll be in front of us, but I put a picture here. You can look at it more closely when you when the service is over. But this is something that hangs above my desk, and it's a beautiful mountain range. And um, this was the last time God said move to Chicago. That was my office. That was the view out my office window in Tucson. So um, I was really obedient this time when I came to Chicago. But seriously, that was the view out the, my window. And often I would look at that, and I would think of this psalm. You know, I looked to those mountains. They were awesome mountains. I loved them. I loved climbing them. There was parts of those that I could walk into and I could see the valley, the canyon where I would go sometimes for, uh, for, for a day of solitude and retreat. But the help wasn't in the mountains. The help was in the God who created them. And those were often a reminder to me. Now, as you know, uh, if you were here last week or you've heard from me or if you're new today, I want to tell you what we're doing is we're having a piece of art, some kind of graphic or visual art each week that we'll call our attention to one of the Psalms. And last week I did overpainted on the wall there as the tents of Kedar. But this is the one for today, Psalm 121. And this is uh, done by Jason Lee. Can you wave, Jason? There's Jason over there. Thanks for doing this, Jason. And thanks for help, Mom and Dad. But I want to read something that Jason said about this, this uh, photograph and the words that he put to it. Jason says, the Sunday when Pastor Diana told the church about the Psalms, an idea sprang up in my head. I'm not much of an artist, but I could take a picture of hills or mountains and put words to the picture and edit it to make it look nice. The picture I chose was a picture of the Flamsbrigge. Do you speak Norwegian? Or do you speak uh, Flamsbrigge? Is it close? Oh, well, whatever. Anyway, the Flamsbrigge, which is a train. It's a train going over the tracks that wind through the fjords of Norway. This picture is even more special because I've been there before. I've been on that train. I've seen those exact mountains. The leaves were privileged to travel in Scandinavia some time ago. And then Jason goes on and says, This psalm spoke to me as I sometimes need to look for help in areas of my life. But this psalm also helped me look more to God for my help. Lifting my eyes up to the hills, asking, Where does my help come My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, says Jason. I now have a deeper understanding of how he watches over us. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Even though I have never heard of this psalm before, reading it and thinking about it for the first time made me realize that I needed to ask God for more help. And even if I stumble, he will be there watching over me. So thank you, Jason, for your depiction of Psalm 121. It'll hang over next to mine, and then next week we'll have another one from Psalm 122. That's what comes after 121, so... 
I looked at the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. There's a switch then between verses 2 and 3. This one says, I look to the Lord, and then, but my help comes to the Lord. But then it switches. A different voice teaches of God, the helper, and begins to teach us about God. He, the Lord, it says. And that's why it suggests that it was sung back and forth. But we're going to look at it moving from this need for help now to looking at the nature of the help that God gives. The nature of the help. The Lord who keeps us. And I'm going to look at this in three ways. The assurance of a watching God, the assurance of a protecting God, and the assurance of a preserving God. Did you see how some of those words showed up in our awesome song today? Protector, defender. I love that. The assurance of a watching God. Here's Nick Walenda's footslip, by the way. It comes back here. But the watching for the footslip is not so much of not letting it happen, but it speaks of the awareness of God. It's more of something that God does not miss. He will not let your foot slip without him seeing it, without him being there to care for you and to minister to you. God won't let, God won't miss this because he is always watching and always guarding. Now when we hear always watching, some of us might think of a more of a Santa Claus is coming to town kind of a theology, which is bad theology by the way. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why, because Santa Claus is coming to town. And he's really kind of an angry, mean Santa who's going to withhold good gifts from you kids. Some of you used that song in December, and we ought not. <laughs> it's not that kind of watching. God is watching over you in a caring way. In fact, some versions translate this word as keeping. The Lord is keeping you. God is keeping watch over you. The footslip will not be missed because the Lord is watching over you. The footslip will not be missed because the Lord is the unsleeping guardian of his people. He's the unsleeping guardian. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He is standing guard. God never sleeps but always is able to keep watch over us. I shared the other night when I was helping uh, Greg Scaniel, one of our youth interns, lead a a discussion group on this psalm. The the youth are doing these psalms the Wednesday before. So we actually ought to have them come up here and teach it instead of me, but this is the way it's working. But we were talking about Psalm 121, talking about this idea of if you've ever stayed up all night, what's the longest you've ever stayed up? And I thought of the reason that I am not a youth pastor anymore. It was my last year as a youth pastor. I didn't know it until this night, but the church that I served uh, 30-some years ago uh, had a tradition of an all-night New Year's Eve, a New Year's Eve all-nighter for the youth group. New Year's Eve all-nighter for the youth group. And all-nighter meant we do not go to sleep all night, okay? And so I was the youth pastor and I had some volunteers with me, but that meant I could, I could not sleep either. I could not even run the risk of falling asleep. So my rule was that I stayed on my feet the whole time and I drank copious amounts of coffee, which I do anyway, but not usually in the middle of the night. And so I would just stay on my feet and just stay aware constantly of what was going on because I was in charge. So I've experienced what it's like to spend a night like that. Uh, Just a little addition, if Megan was here, she wanted me to note that um, this is a point in our life when we had four children, six and under, and um, I would be at the church all night and I would come home on this holiday, this day of celebration to my wife and four small children who had just gotten out of bed and I'd go to bed. That's why I'm not in youth ministry anymore. You can fill in the blanks. But anyway, um, at least not at that church. Um, I did it for one night. I couldn't do it any more than that. God does it not only without coffee, God does it every night. The unsleeping guardian of his people. Every night. Constant presence, constant watchful care. 
Even when we are not aware, he is keeping us. He is providing for us. He is providing for us 24-7, 365. That's this popular phrase that speaks of our, uh, we, we use it a lot right now in terms of our, kind of our nonstop world where things are constantly uh, coming at us. I realized that this morning. I taught confirmation, and it's a lesson I've done before. And, and my old notes had, uh, write, write the front page of a newspaper paper article. And so since our children aren't familiar with this concept of newspaper article, we wrote it to look like a blog post because things change like that. As soon as the newspaper's out, it's out of date. And so blog posts are updated like that. 24-7, 365. I found some logos, actually, that, that use this as an expression of we're always available, whether we're plumbers or we're a, a security company or, or whatever it might be. Always available. And, of course, those companies come and go, so we don't know how many, how many years that lasts. But this 24-7, 365 is more true of God. We have this assurance in this image of the unsleeping guardian. We have the assurance of watching God. We have secondly in verses 5 and 6 the assurance of a, of a protecting God. The assurance of a protecting God. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. We have this image of shade and shadows and a, a promise of protection that comes here. It says he will be my shade at the right hand. Why was it the shade at the right hand? Because I, I read somewhere that the, the shield was carried in the left hand, but we needed some up here. And so God kind of partners with us. So that's kind of a, a neat little image. But even more here, shade and shadows all through Scripture are, are a symbol all through the Old Testament of God's protection. The shadow and the protection of God. Think about it. You've heard some of these verses before. Psalm 91.1, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Almighty will, of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Let me do that with the words in the right place. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 17, 8 says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. We sometimes think of shadow as kind of a, a dark and, and dangerous place, kind of like back there with the tents of Kedar. But in this sense, shadow is a, is, is a, is a very positive image. It's a, it's a Hebrew metaphor, actually, for protection against oppression. If I'm in the shadow of the wings, if I'm in the shadow of the Almighty, I'm protected from those who would take my life, those who would oppress me and overpower me. As the shade protects from the oppressor, oppression of the hot desert sun with which they are familiar, um, they, could, they could identify that. Which brings us then to the sun and the moon and all that threatens. The damaging impact of the sun is a pretty clear image, especially for those that lived under the harsh, hot sun of Palestine. And so we know that the damage that the sun can do is that it beats down. It says that God protects us from that. But what about the moon? It says you'll protect me from the moon as well. What's, what's the deal with that? Well, in ancient time, it was believed that the, the moon actually had uh, some potentially damaging effects on people. Like, like the moon could make people crazy. You know the term moonstruck? That, that, that's what it would be. It was actually given to people certain kinds of, of, of mental health disorders. The name lunatic. Lunatic. Luna. Luna means... Not only the carpet company with a clever jingle that now you won't get out of your head because I just said it, but um, in fact, somebody mentioned that in confirmation. I can't believe you mentioned Luna carpets. But anyway, but Luna means moon, and a lunatic is somebody who's been affected by the moon, somebody who's given, uh, given to those thought to have, I love this, succumbed to the malign influence of lunar rays. Did you know that? That the moon can make you crazy? Well, they used to think that. And so that's really kind of what it's talking about. But lest we fear the scripture's teaching as something that's not true. There's something here in a broader sense of things that happen at night. 
Things that happen during the day that can harm us. Things that can happen at night that can harm us. And for those who were traveling up to Jerusalem, who traveled day and night, there were the dangers of the day with the the hot sun and the lack of water. But there were dangers at night of, of robbers and thieves that could stop their way and impede their progress. So together, in a sense, this metaphor of shade, shadow, sun, and moon, together sort of works for all that would stress, distress, or threaten us day or night in our walk. Having lived in the desert for 17 years, I, of course, can relate to this image of the sun. And this idea of shade made me think of when we'd walk our dogs uh, in, the, in the morning in, in the desert. And it would, it would heat up, and the dogs would get kind of overheated, and they'd just kind of do that really loud kind of thing. And sometimes we'd actually hose them down before we'd go out for a walk, just so we'd kind of, kind of refrigerate them a little bit and cool them down a little bit. But I can remember Megan saying once, we'd, we'd be walking, if the sun was here, the shadow was here, and we'd be like, I wish we could train the dogs to walk in our shadow. Wouldn't that be, I mean, wouldn't that be a smart dog that there's always a shade? Even when we're, if they could just walk on our shadow, it would protect them. And they are, they are such stupid dogs, they couldn't figure that out, that they couldn't figure out that they could walk in the shadow. And then I thought about that, learning to walk in his shadow, and I thought, well, I'm kind of stupid sometimes too, forgetting the protection that God has for me, for forgetting that he is present with me, forgetting sometimes that when I'm in a fearful situation that's a distressing one, that he's got me in his shadow as well. We have in these words then the assurance of a protecting God. And thirdly, we have the assurance of a a preserving God. A preserving God. It says here, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Really. Like all physical harm, it says here. Obviously not true. Last year when I was training for the marathon, I was, some of you remember, I was at Triennial with my wife and I was out for a long run and somebody came barreling into the back of me on their bike and sent me to the ground and sent me back to my physical therapist where I'm a regular client. And, um, well, you know what? Two weeks ago I went for a really long run and then two days later I tried to do it again and I, I did something really bad to my, we won't say that, I already said a bad word in church last week, I won't say it today, but um, um, this part of my body uh, where some muscles are very much stressed. And um, so I've been back to my orthopedic specialist who's, so who's, who says when I walk in, what are you here for now, Scott? And then I went back to my physical therapist who said, what are you here for now, Scott? But both of them assured me I'd be able to run in three weeks with the work they're doing. So I had physical harm. We get harmed all the time. We get hurt all the time. But this passage says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will look over your life. Obviously, it's pushing into a, a deeper place. It's going to a deeper place than that. In fact, the King James Version actually is very helpful to us here. Sometimes when we read the King James, we kind of go, what do those words mean? But this time, I love what it says. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. And so when the psalmist here is talking about protection, he's talking about soul protection, not just physical protection. He's talking about God keeping the evil out. I want to read what Eugene Peterson says about that. It says, All the water in all the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. Nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets within us. That is the promise of the psalm, quote, the Lord will keep you from all evil. 
not the demon in the loose stone, not the fierce attack of the sun god, nor the malign influence of the moon goddess, not any of these can separate you from God's call and purpose. From the time of your repentance that got you out of Kedar and Meshach to the time of your glorification with the saints in heaven, you are safe. The Lord will keep you from all evil. None of the things that happen to you, none of the troubles you encounter have any power to get between you and God. None of them have any power to dilute his grace in you or to divert his will from you. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. It's a soul protection. Yes, life will have slips and falls physically and emotionally, sunstroke and physical harm, but we have the assurance and we need to affirm and know that we are preserved by the living God. We are preserved by God. We are accompanied by God. We are ruled by God. No matter what we experience, that God is there to keep the evil from getting on the inside where it does permanent damage. It's a soul protection that is offered in the big picture of the psalm. And I think what's important here is that this is not just a sometimes protection, it's an always protection. I think sometimes about calling on God that, that sometimes we kind of, we sort of function like the only time that God's really active is when we call on him. It's kind of like when you go into a, 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 a modern uh, restroom and you go and, there, and it has a, hand, uh, a motion se- sensor for the water. It's like it just kind of waits. The faucet just sort of waits. Then somebody walks up and goes like this and they go, oh, time to send water. And I think sometimes we kind of feel like God is just sort of kind of waiting for my kids to ask me for help. Oh, there they are. They're, they're asking for help. They're asking for help. We sort of activate God. What a foolish thing. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks that. But, um, but I think sometimes when we, we function our life apart from the awareness of God, or sometimes as we, we, we think that this protection is just those big things, those, those big injuries, those big accidents, those, those big times when you feel that we're spared. You know those times when, when a big accident, you go by an accident and, and you go, wow, if I hadn't gone back to turn off the coffee maker, I would have been in an accident, I've been spared. What about the people that were in the accident? But you know, we, we tend to think these big moments that, that God was in that and protecting me and preserving me, and, and God, God was. But I think the reality here is the psalm speaks of the daily and the moment by moment. God is in the big moments, but God is also in the small moments. Sometimes we live as though God is in the big moments, but the rest of the time we're just sort of on our own. But this is a reassurance that even when we're not aware, even when we're asleep, he's awake. Well, obviously he's God. But do you get that image? That he's always watching and caring and protecting, even when we're not thinking about it, even when we're not activating him at the sink. I don't know if that grabs you, but it grabs me, and it, it convicts me, but it also at the same time reassures me. Eugene Peterson says, Psalm 121 says that the same faith that works in the big things works in the little things. The God of Genesis 1 who brought you out of darkness he says to the Hebrews, is also the God of this day who keeps you from all evil. And Peterson ends with the assurance or the encouragement that I do too of we need to get this psalm into our hearts. You know the words if you've heard it before. We're going to sing a more familiar version of Psalm 121 in a little, little while here. 
we need to get more than just the familiar song. We need to get the reality of this, the, the confidence and the assurance. We need the truths of this psalm to be the atmosphere that we live in. We need to let it be the culture that we live in as we live out our lives. That God is the preserving, protecting, watching God. As we wrap this up and as we move back towards some worship music, here's a song, uh, some questions I want you to reflect on. How can getting this psalm into our hearts, how can this make a difference in our life journey? How can it make a difference in the big moments? And how can it make a difference in the little everyday moments as well? Spend a couple moments just reflecting on this as we segue on into worship again.